Welcome to Sport Media and Tech. I'm Keo Blake. On this episode, Dr. Jeff Porter, 19 UCF graduate students, and I spend time in a live discussion with Howard Wright, CEO and president of C360. We talk about his personal journey, ask him questions and career advice, and also discuss the immersive media economy driving the future of media technology. My first um, kind of job in sport was different, much different from what I do now. <laughs> so my first job in sports was uh, actually playing professional basketball. I was lucky enough to be able to be a little bit taller than most, run a little bit faster than most. And uh, after a really good career at Stanford, the Atlanta Hawks took a chance on me. I played three short and non-illustrious careers with Orlando, Atlanta, and Dallas. And then I ended up playing overseas for seven, eight years after that. So 11 years of professional basketball actually trained me for corporate America in a way that I would have never predicted or could have predicted as I sit here on the other side of 50. What happened is student athletes and high achieving students you are acquiring the skill sets. You are practicing with the muscles that you will need muscle memory for. Discipline, focus, intensity, sacrifice, purpose. That's going on now. Some folks do it in a chem lab. Some folks do it at, a, at the library. Some folks do it on a basketball court or on a, on a football field. The sport changes. The... Um, measurements of success and success always leaves clues those are those are the same and those can be um, shared across a couple different verticals as we all reach to try to be uh, the greatest version of ourselves after i was done playing basketball i'm a california boy through and through and lived in san diego always kept a house in san diego going to business school like some of you guys here and I happened to meet Paul Jacobs at a entrepreneur's breakfast uh, in San Diego. He said, we're always looking for bright folks at Qualcomm. Let me know when you graduate. So my dirty little secret is I never graduated from business school. <laughs> I sent Paul my resume, which included, I have a degree in qualitative economics. I had a short and non-illustrious career and I will work my ass off for you, sir. He took that resume, sent it around to Qualcomm HR. Paul was and is the son of the founder at Qualcomm. So when I met Paul, he was a VP, senior VP. Everybody knew he was the heir apparent, but he was not in charge yet. And everything that he explained in the entrepreneur's breakfast he manifested over the next oh, 14, 15 years while I was under his kind of discipleship. Having, you know, transferring, going from the court back into the boardroom, it was different uniform, but the same frenetic energy. Are you prepared? Everybody has the will to win. Very few folks have the will to prepare to win. And it's a huge difference, KB. You and I have talked about this before. Absolutely. Which is, is if you 
pay attention. If you're diligent, if you have attention to detail, if you let your natural gifts come out and you listen more than you talk, typically good things are going to happen. And in a group as prestigious as this at, from UCF, uh, maybe we should start with, don't be discouraged by where we are right now. Many of you are probably 21, 22. I'm 52 and still trying to figure it out myself. And I ask myself the question, uh, what do I wanna be when I grow up? So don't feel that if you don't have the job from the New York firm or the LA firm or the um, <clears throat> investment um, community right this second that you have somehow underachieved this is a marathon. This is not a sprint to the next um, line item. Well, Howard, you and I have had some interactions. I have loved hearing your story. One thing that as we get to the fun stuff a little bit later, because you know, we last time we met, you had a lot, there's a lot of little, little pieces coming up. Um, you know, you went from the NBA, uh, from the NBA over, overseas uh, to Europe. Went, went to B school, Qualcomm, and then you had you ended up at Intel. Through your entire journey, what stands out uh, the most in your professional uh, career? Thanks. Authentic leadership. There is no way to fake. There is no way to uh, disguise authentic leadership. And that authentic leadership comes from mentors. It comes from coaches. It comes from players on your team. It is the 6 a.m. workouts. It is the late night strategy sessions to finish a project that has to be finished. Leaders lead. It is like Darwinism. It is one of those truisms that a lot of guys want to take, say they want to take the last shot in a game. A lot of even some of the best professional athletes in the world are great in the first three quarters. What distinguishes the great from the legendary is that they're prepared for the moment in life that calls them. Now, that is not glamorous. You know, riding our bike before class, going to an extra workout, you know, at, at, at the weight room at Stanford or something like that. These are things that the kids should aspire to embrace and surround yourself with friends that do this. Does your friend wanna go hang out and get some beers or does your friend want to say, you know what, let's get ahead of our uh, business, of our poli-sci class or there's something else that we have to do. Let's be intentional with our time versus being a, um, um, <clears throat> you know, wasting time like I've done in <laughs> many parts of my life. It is set your sight on success, align your passion with your purpose, and then make sure that your sphere of influence are folks that are more ambitious than you, smarter than you, hungrier than you. That is the circle. That's the, you know, the circles of folks that we need to be aligned with. It will make a difference over time. Yeah, Howard, something that you've talked about a lot um, when we've been together is, you know, the balance between IQ and EQ and um, something that I really aspire, um, you know, to your model 
um, is what motivates you in life. So could you share the students just what personally motivates you and drives you every day? Sure. So I've added to that KB, uh, the IQ, the EQ, and the AQ. I am on a perpetual learning curve myself. IQ is very simple. Everybody in business school, everybody at the you know, best schools around the world, they have the IQ or they wouldn't have achieved to the level they are. The EQ, the emotional quotient of being able to be passionate without being overly emotional, focus ruthlessly on the task at hand without being hypersensitive to someone's criticism. The one that has been added now is the AQ, which is adaptability quotient. Now, this is probably best explained and to the football fans like I know that exist at UCF, the head coach is called to play, the offensive coordinator is called to play, the quarterback signals that play in the huddle, they go to a line, and the defense is in a cover four instead of a uh, cover two. The best quarterbacks in the world, audibleize, not always necessarily from a run to a pass or, or vice versa, but it is instead of the receiver, instead of the tight end going up the rail or the receiver doing a seven route, there's a connection with the receiver or you audibleize the receiver, you tell them to run the, the nine route and it's a touchdown bird. The ability to adapt is both immediate and then there's a, a macro purpose. Like we all are adapting right now on how we live and interact with each other and stay safe. So I, those, wouldn't, I wouldn't know, Howard, what, what, what brought that to mind in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so then uh, to become more personal for me is I am still in search of why I live in the grace that I live in. Is that uh, my grandmothers and ancestors have prayed for me in a way that I'm undeserving, but as I, again, 52 years on this earth, there is no combination of forces that one guy could be so lucky. And so I think I attempt to pay this forward and pay it back simultaneously. The, my two grandmothers who back in the thirties, when neither a lot of females nor a lot of African-American, and then certainly not a lot of African-American females were going to college. They both pursued and attained their degrees. My sisters, two older sisters, one is a lawyer, excuse me, one is a doctor, and one is a CPA. My mother owned and operated her own real estate firm in San Diego while raising the four of us. I'm actually the only one in the family of the kids that does not have an advanced degree. So I'm the pun intended black sheep of the family because I did not have the same um, uh, level of education of everybody else. So the purpose is to embrace the moment, embrace the responsibility and embrace the gifts that we have been given. Let's talk about a little bit of the ways that new, like new ways that video now is being captured. I think that we are at the start of 
And if this becomes a thing, by the way, I'm going to trademark it. And you guys all heard it first here. And somebody will owe me a royalty and everything else. But the immersive media economy. So bear with me for a second as I build this kind of pinwheel out. We are in an age when the digital rights, linear social digital, digital rights of all of the best leagues, hockey, basketball, NFL, EPL, everybody's rights come up between basically 22 and 24. These are billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars worth of the most valuable content probably that we have you know, as North American consumers of sports and entertainment. How we have always consumed that is that KB sits at my house or I sit at his house and he turns on his TV and we watch it on a 2D flat screen experience. That's worked wonderfully for 50, 60, 70 years. The combination of forces that are upon us right now, I have the hypothesis that this is where this economy starts. So bandwidth, 5G, um, and how you concatenate wireless, wireline, how there's so much power and processing and storage in your device that's in your pocket or in your purse all day long. The content can find you anywhere you are in coverage and we basically don't go anywhere without coverage. The number of companies that are throwing billions of dollars towards the cloud, cloud infrastructure, virtualizing the network on the edge, on premise, go back and forth out. You see the cloud guys, AWS, Google, Azure, Alibaba, beating each other's brains out for the next deal that is, can we say sports media adjacent? These are hundreds of terabytes, potentially petabytes of data going up to and down from the arenas and stadiums that we know and love and frequent. That cloud, the cloudification of this is also a massive, you know, you store it, you digitize it, you curate it, and then you distribute it back to whoever Roger Goodell or um, Adam Silver tells you to send it to. There's <clears throat> e-sports. And so now they're traditional sports of a guy or a gal in some shorts running as fast as they can to and from is one vertical that we have, I, th I think we're apexing to see you know the highlights of, of these fans. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to go to one of the League of Legends competitions. I was a doubting Thomas in terms of, I hadn't paid enough attention to esports, and I thought it was pretty much my, um, you know, computer science class from college. I thought it was all those kids, grown up, their kids going back to another computer science class when it really is, it's spectacle. It's, uh, and the data that goes in and out of there, you see why Intel and Dell and Amazon and other multinationals are involved in this in a meaningful way. Um, back to Jeff, to, to kind of complete the circle a little bit is, Think about all the companies that are coming into this 
whether volumetric, AR, VR, MR, XR, I don't care, put whatever prefix in front of that that you would like. There's an alteration happening right now and it's second spectrum or it's Magic Leap or it's Intel or it's Tetavi or you know, there's companies all over the world that are doing things so that we can they can transport us not just into the arena, not just to the Jack Nicholson seat, but on the field of play, onto the court, onto the pitch, onto the field. So you have a, you can interact with what Tom Brady sees a few seconds after Tom Brady sees it, what LeBron sees a few seconds after LeBron James sees it. When I was at Intel, you know, we already showed a whole bunch of stuff that we did with the European soccer leagues and with La Liga. And I had an appreciation for Messi before all this, but Messi is just the baddest 5'5 dude I've ever seen in my life. And when you can look through the eyes of Messi as he bicycle kicks one of his, you know, infamous goals, there's a deep appreciation. And so that confluence of all these different verticals aligning around what I believe is going to be a new vertical, which is immersive media, the immersive media economy. That's going to, if you go back, you think about Netflix and Hulu and those guys went over the top. And then here came the gig economy of um, Uber and Lyft and you know everybody else. This is niche to that, but I think it's so important because back to the premise of there's tens of billions of dollars at stake on who delivers me that next generation NBA league pass where I can participate and I can portal myself and go into the Pelicans and watch the game through the eyes of the referee or the eyes of um, Zion Williamson. That is, I believe KB is going to happen much faster than we have imagined. And I'm pretty optimistic about the velocity of technology. I think these things, these tumblers are going to click and it's going to happen without us having um, some seminal moment. We're just going to wake up and we're almost in, you know, ready player one mode on how we consume uh, this content. No, Howard, I remember you showing, I mean, in person, the AR on the iPad of a one-on-one -on -one basketball game that could lock in on a table. Um, you know, we talk about in class, uh, you know, there's brand opportunities, say a Wendy's sponsoring a room where you can party up with your friends from across the country and watch from what you just shared, like a window into the stadium um, with unique experiences, visits from digital players. Um, there's a lot of new hardware out there that's helping capture this type of media. And then there's a lot of software to support it and data to support it. So could you share a little bit about what volumetric capture is? Uh, sure. Questions? Volumetric has been around for some time. It is just now starting to become in the popular, you know, verbiage. Intel is doing it. I think I mentioned Magic Leap, uh, Evercoast. There's a handful of companies that are basically taking a pixel is a 2D image and how many pixels you can fit on the screen is a byproduct of the laws of physics. A voxel is a volumetric pixel. Now envision a cube. 
and let's take the um, the Amway Center. Imagine you could drop in from the top several million Rubik's cubes into the Amway Center. From each of those Rubik's cubes until it's filled up. From each of those Rubik's cubes, you could have infinite camera angles. So instead of a flat screen looking at the players from the mezzanine level or from even a, a court side, you can look from the court out. This is done with a enormous amount of processing, <laughs> four racks of servers, um, Canon, Intel, you know, a handful of folks are doing this at scale for arenas and stadiums. And I will tell you this, that the CTOs at the most important organizations in the world, the NBAs and the NFLs, Major League Baseball, as well as the broadcasters are leaning all the way in to this inevitability. It will happen. To the victor will go the spoils, whoever gets there first with the best algorithms and defensible IP. And they will deliver through the broadcasters these experiences that you'll pay a premium for. We North American consumers have been trained very well that we'll pay an additional $4.99, $5.99, $7.99 for something that is new. And if you have all these OTT players and the traditional linear guys, and here come the fangs in terms of wanting to monetize and evangelize their you know, digital weaponry, that landing zone becomes uh, you know, part of the immersive media economy. And can't wait to see how it all plays out. And this years from now, probably five years, maybe 10 years from now, at business schools like UCF, they will examine who are the winners and who are the losers. And it'll be just as clear as the phone guys or the infrastructure guys or the car guys. So Howard, I'm gonna hit you with, with a two-parter because I think you teed this one up nicely, is what is OTT for those of our students who don't know? And then secondly, how is 5G now? You know, We've all seen the popularization of this through commercials and through all kinds of media. How is that playing a role into uh, what's happening and what will continue to happen with, um, with all kinds of AR, VR, yeah. uh, Vox, et cetera? Thanks, Jeff. Uh, OTT over the top. The traditional world in the 3G um, world was AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, whoever your local um, uh, provider was. You put billions of dollars of sunk cost <laughs> into the ground, into fiber. And then they gave you a phone with a Samsung or Apple or whatever. And they try to monetize that off of your bill. They pump in cable to your house or broadband into my office here. What the best OTT players have done, and a perfect example is Netflix. So I went to school with Reed Hastings and would love to say that, you know, he came up with this idea long ago or that we were in the library and somehow figured it out together. No, not at all. Which is once you have someone else paying for all the trunkage, all the tonnage, all the um exchange and the economy of the bits and the bytes going all i have to do is write on top of that 
and get KB to pay me $9.99 a month for content that I create and house in data warehouses strategically located all over the US and around the world. So the OTT players are the Hulu's, Netflix and others, and the traditional tech and telecommunication giants still haven't figured out how to differentiate themselves when all of these over the top guys I can hear you now. Yeah, you you, you uh, dropped for like 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so so obvi obviously the powers that be at Comcast heard what I was saying. They have <laughs> tapped into this and they were they were buffering the stream because they are not this, happy this, with you right now. No, it's 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 just a, it's a known known. It's yeah. not any uh, uh, epiphany from me or anybody else. Right. And so the idea is how did those original OTT players understand, pivot, take the risk when necessary to be in the position they are now. That's my theory of those same brilliant minds are thinking up new lateral, horizontal and vertical um, applications, features. And I believe that the immersive media economy will be one of those things that is studied uh, many years from now. Jeff, I didn't finish on your 5G. The easiest analogy is 3G modems and 4G modems just made your download of music a little bit quicker. You know, 3G, then you had your Apple phone and you could download some songs. 4G, you could stream, not great, but you could stream some Netflix and Hulu wherever you were during your day. 5G is a game changer in terms of, um, you know, Erlang's per cell and all the other deep bits of academia, the, the calculus changes completely. It's not just a faster modem in the device that's in your hand. It's a faster wireless modem coupled and concatenated with a faster Wi-Fi modem. And then that cloud basically follows you around all day. In the 3G and 4G world, I have to go find a cell tower or uh, ethernet cable to be connected to. In this 5G world, and here comes Samsung, and here comes LG, and here comes Apple that just uh, announced uh, last week, two weeks ago. That 5G phone, the cloud follows me now. I'll have to be in connection to something that is not necessarily always cellular. So this is a game changer in that the cloud used to be a distant, place that you go and download all. Now you walk around your house, you walk around in a, uh, a convention center, an airport, your hotel room. You are, you have basically broadband from your palm directly out and uplinks and downlinks are, you know, 10X. That's a, that's a game changer, which is part of the baseline of, you know, why all these high tech companies are interested. Yeah, Howard, if we start talking about Starlink and Elon Musk, uh, your yeah. provider might shut us off. So we won't go there. We won't go there right now. So with that in mind, uh, what kind of hardware is used now today? Or what are some of the leading hardware for capturing uh, you know, this type of media? If you trace it all the way back, you know, Intel, Qualcomm and others, the modem, the ASIC up underneath, 
It's fabbed from either locally or TSMC or someplace. And it's a tiny wafer. It's 10 nanometer, seven, you know, seven nanometer that goes into a piece of silicon, put a motherboard, you put some discrete componentry and you have something that could have launched you know, Apollo 11 <laughs> now in your hand in terms of processing. And you throw in some FPGAs and CP. It's just radical how small and how potent these devices are. So it is incumbent on us to stay ahead of the curve and not get cr crushed by this digital tsunami that's coming. And the hardware providers that, um, you know, are winning are probably going to win. I don't see somebody coming from left field. It's just a, that's the, uh, it's a blood sport of all blood sports in terms of silicon, uh, massive pieces of silicon delivered at scale, delivered to a global market. So it'll be the Apples and Amazons and Microsoft and Intels and others that, you know, eat the beat biggest pieces of the pie. And then it's probably incumbent to us to try to find little niches of that where we can differentiate ourselves. And maybe one of those big company gobbles you up in the way and then you create some shareholder value that way. Yeah, and Howard, you know, you've talked about kind of some of the hardware around the, uh, you know, IoT side of things and that, but what about the media capture? side uh, of the business now in terms of AR and VR, how is that changing? It's getting microscopic. It's getting, you know, almost George Jetson-like. I know probably your kids are too young to remember who George Jetson was, but the traditional big Sony Panasonic Canon, enormous cameras that sat on the outskirts of the field and focused in on a player or several players. Well, those are always gonna be there. Those are gonna go from you know, the 1080p to the 5K to 8K to 12K. We were in Japan last year and saw, um, yeah, eight, excuse me, 12K demo of um, Wimbledon of a match. And so it never, you know, it's not ready for prime time because you need a screen, a hundred foot screen, and you need you need a, oh a rack of you need a rack of servers in your in your in your living room for it to play. But it gives you um, a peek into the future in terms of clarity, occlusion, rendering, speeds, times. You see what is coming, which is going to be we're going to then break through the looking glass step into the alternate universe, interact with objects and each other inside the universe, and then step out when we put the screen down or take the VR goggles off. I, I would encourage the students to try to not think about one vertical, AR, VR, MR, XR, you know, spatial computing or, um, and then think in totality, how do I play in this new economy that has all of those components running together simultaneously 
and not one company is running all of it. It is the economy that is being formed probably, you know, inorganically with a, a work, a lot of work. But then now you put the best, most um, memorable sports content on top of that. You have some, everybody's wanted to be Derek Jeter standing at home plate with a bat in their hand to, to swing. Everybody's wanted to be the quarterback of your favorite team. This, why I'm still convinced, and my theme here today is that there's an inevitability of this immersive media interactivity and people will sell the interactivity and we will eat it up and we will pay whatever reasonable price they will, they will charge us for it. Will there be a 3D uh, of, of, of databases that can collect historical moments so that we can be Michael Jordan making the game six shot against the Utah Jazz or be Derek Jeter, you know? Will that like what is that? So does, that's the that's the first question. Second question is, as a consumer, right? When will I be able to have ARVR in my household or available to me that at a price that makes sense? The first part of the database is happening right now, and I could uh, give you a quick example. I was a you know I was a ninth player, 10th player, something like that on the team with Shaq's rookie year. And so Shaq's rookie year, he was 7'1", 285 pounds, could run and jump, and was destroying everybody that wasn't Hakeem Olajuwon. It was quite a sight to see a human move this big, or who is this big, move this quick, and jump this high. And one of the plays, you know, so we had, we had witnessed Shaq basically his rookie year when he first came out no other center no other player no other human knew what to do with him and so going off tangent here but this was in the heyday of the big center in the NBA this is Patrick Ewing this is David Robinson Akeem Olajuwon Shaq um, Cycli um, Alonzo Mourning etc so I'm on the court Shaq dunks on Alonzo Mourning harder. It should have been a criminal. It should have been criminal. And matter of fact, if you go through some of these old um, archive data, I don't know if folks are scrolling on TikTok, you'll see a guy doing this, getting out of the way, trying not to get killed. That's me. And so my point, KB, is that I had a view from right here. And I was part of the 1% of the 1% uh, lucky enough to play in the NBA and see that. Now the databases, plural Jeff, are being built volumetrically with immersive media so that I can explain that to you. And if we had some wine and cheese, I'd probably tell you a little bit more about what happened before and after and what was said. <laughs> but would it be so much better if I could pull up that volumetric highlight and show the uh, students? Wouldn't it be great is that when they put Shaq in the Hall of Fame, that he shows his highlights from inside out versus from outside in. So those databases are being built. The NBA films, NBA entertainment, NFL films, um, it's, it's, it's around the corner, Jeff. Um, if you think about Quest and Oculus and Magic Leap, these are 
high-end devices, typically for the tech nerds like me. Um, the devices are pretty expensive. The connectivity is, you know, there's a lot of bandwidth that is required. It's not mainstream, although it seems like the devices will get thinner, lighter, and eventually this will be your AR, VR goggles and in the windows will um, input information that you can process in real time. It's almost there. Uh, very few companies have, um, or the big companies are taking the biggest risk here, which means to me that there is some oil in this well. <laughs> you can maybe get one billionaire to do something silly and take a, take a flyer. But if you think about Facebook, Google, Amazon, Intel, and you know, there's a couple of other billion dollars that have been raised in the AR VR space. We all know that there's money there. We're trying to basically uncover the most valuable jewel right now. And the one that kind of gets to market with the best content, I think will win. So it's it's a uh, it's another summer at least before it goes mainstream. But if you get it, get to tour, you know the CESs and the Mobile World Congresses, you know that this is coming. There's an inevitability about all of this, not just a curiosity. You talked about some of the tangible skill sets, right? You know, yeah. like the qualitative side, the engineering side, computer science. But are there jobs that don't exist today that people are looking for tomorrow where they're gonna train people because the tech didn't exist six months ago. And what does that look like? Yeah, so I, the best analogy I can give is now that universities are basically giving scholarships and have teams for esports. who would have thought, um, you know, my mother, I have an older brother who is a lawyer. My mother would chase us out of the living room when we were playing video games for too long. And so now this has become its own new economy in a way that the valuation of the teams, the association with those leagues, the processing power, everything has come together such that it is quite a, uh, quite a spectacle to watch in a, in a good way. And the smart money, the Ted Leonsis and others are putting their name and their brand associated with this new league. I would challenge the students to try to think along those lateral, adjacent, proximate business models to what we have done. The NFL is not going anywhere. The NBA is not going anywhere. Um, these are going to exist in, in perpetuity in some form or fashion. This is a lateral thought exercise. It's hard. If it was easy, everybody would have admitted it already. If it was easy, somebody would have made millions or billions off of it. It is inside that, um, um, you know, that self-doubt that we actually provide and supply our own self-pride to step up to this moment. Yes, I, I've done it. I've 20 years in corporate America. And if somebody offers you a job at uh, IBM or Microsoft or one of the traditional Fortune 100s, I encourage everybody to spend a fair amount of time there. But while you're young here, 
I'd say take some more classes, get a second degree, get a get a PhD. The world is not the world is not going anywhere. The world will be there when you come out of your university with how many other degrees that you want. And there's never going to be a time when multiple degrees from UCF or some of the other you know, best institutions in the world isn't going to put you higher up on the rank of the resumes that might come across my desk or anybody else's desk. And that's a wrap. Join us next episode to talk with Don White, CEO of Satisfy Labs, as we discuss automated intelligence and interactive search. Thank you.